0: Before we get started, one uh, is if you see David Henderson, yesterday was his birthday. Uh, and be sure and tell him happy birthday. Uh, if he serves in so many different capacities here, and uh, we appreciate him, so be sure you tell him happy birthday. And another thing, I just have to say, as a doting husband, uh, Deidre's in the paper today. I know all of you get the paper, right? Everybody does. I didn't even know how to look for it. I haven't, had a, I haven't bought a paper since the last time I bought a, a car from the paper, which has probably been about 10 years. But uh, the, she has a little write-up on her and her job, and uh, so I have to brag on her just a little bit. You know, when, it, when you come to our house, if you want to know who's really important, it's the one who makes the paper, and it's not me. I'm not in it, so uh, you'll know who is really important in our house. But anyways... I just wanted to brag on her for a little bit. I also just wanted to say um, I'm really excited about this series that we're in, and I'm excited about where it's going to take us. And in the next few weeks, I'm hoping that God is going to give on your heart and in your mind, uh, you'll have a desire or a dream, something in which God is saying, I've got a plan for you, and I want you to be a part of something. Uh, And and I'm going to be asking you to let me know, we already have a few that have come to me and said, you know what, God's been telling me something for a while, and I think it's just time for me to do something about it. And I'm going to share some of those with you um, over the next few weeks. But I want to hear what your story is. I want to hear what God is telling you. And uh, and for those that might be listening to this on the podcast, just because so many people are out sick, uh, whether, whether you're here or whether you're somewhere else, God wants to speak to you, and we want to hear what he has to say. We're going to be giving you many opportunities in order to do that. This morning, I want to ask a couple of people to come up, Jack and Cindy Elias, and I asked them if they would let me interview them this morning. So they... They were certain yesterday. I'm feeling they're not certain right at this moment. So can we encourage them to come on up and share with us? All right. There we go. All right. I even have a microphone for you. This is exciting stuff. (laughs) No, you have to have a microphone so we might make sure everybody can hear you. There you go. And we'll just stand down here. Does everybody know Jack and Cindy? Yes, you should know them. Yeah, they've been around here for a while now. I don't know how long have y'all been coming to Journey? Five years. Five years. Five years. Five years. Okay, now you've got to hold it up. You've got you to speak into it. You got a haircut, didn't you? Did you get a haircut today, just for this morning? You got them all cut. You got them all cut. Thank you. That's, yeah, yeah. So how long have you guys been coming to Journey? About five years. About five years. And you're not the only ones in your family that are here. So, introduce the rest of your families in case people don't know your, your Amy story. And Amy and Herman. Toby up there. Mm-hmm. Benjamin. Mm-hmm. She yep. She doesn't go here, but she goes here. She, that's right. That's right. She's yeah. got a home church, Rosalie, but often there. comes here. Yes. And Rosalie. Yes, yes. So, I wanted to ask them if they would let me interview them this morning because uh, they joined us in our small group last fall in Experiencing God, and we started talking more and more. We, I started bringing snacks, and when I bring snacks to something, if Deidre's not involved, they're prepackaged and they're made by somebody else. I don't make anything fresh to bring to small group, but, but somebody kept bringing these amazing things to our small group, and it was Jack and Cindy. Uh, and it just so happens, what, what is your background in that area? Food service, yeah. So baking. Baking, we, we
1: owned a bakery
0: one time. Owned a bakery. Three times. Exactly. Three times. Three times you owned a bakery. And so why don't we have a journey bakery is the next question that comes up, right? Amen? Can I get an amen on that? Because there's never enough good food at church, right? No one ever said, you know what? You know we have too much of it at church? We have too much good food. That's why we have too much. Hashtag blessed. That's right. Oh, hashtag feed us. That's totally different. Okay. All right. So, and then we (coughs) we started talking, and uh, we started talking about ways that they could use their gift and their talents. And so you guys came up with an interesting way to be able to use your gifts that would benefit other people at Journey. Why don't you just share a little bit about what that is?
1: Well, all of a sudden, you know, it came into my mind, you know, Valentine's is coming up. Thinking back at other churches we'd been to, uh, we had... Valentine's banquets. And I says, well, this would, Journey's never had a dinner. And I says, you know, this would be a good time for everybody to get together. I mean, we know people by face, but not by name. Um, and we're probably one of the oldest couples there. And. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you speak for yourself, is what Cindy's saying. I'm older than he is. Uh, okay. <laughs>
1: I'm hoping that this will just be the beginning of many... What's next to come. Next to come,
0: yes. Yes, yes. Okay, so, so Valentine's Banquet. So yes. typically that means you've got to have a significant other. Is that the case? And not necessarily. No. Okay. Who, who, so who is the Valentine's Banquet for? It is for all the adults at your church. Okay. Couples, singles, friends, neighbors. Okay. You don't have to be a couple. Okay, and and your hope... And doing this type of event, you shared a little bit, but what is your hope in this kind of event? So we can eat?
1: No, so we can get to know one another. Uh, most times, you know, people come to church, they're here for the service or after the service, they run out to their car, and people don't get a chance to visit with each other and have that, uh, have that community. And I think it's really important because we've been in churches that we've lingered and met people and all became one big family. I
0: think it's really important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. We have, it was called a Linger Longer. Linger Longer, <laughs> okay, all right. Well, so how, here, let me let me say some ways that you can plug in and get involved in the banquet. When is it?
1: It is this next Saturday. 5.30. 5.30. We need a head count yes, today. Please, 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 We're shopping tomorrow.
0: Yeah. All right, so many of you have already signed up. If you haven't already signed up, you, today's the last day to sign up because they're buying food tomorrow. Now, some ways that you can sign up are out in the lobby in the, on the, the little iPads in the middle of the room. You can sign up there. You can go to your phone, and if you go to our website on the events, you can see the event and you can sign up there, or you can go to journeychattanooga.com forward slash sign dash up. And they, all of our signups are on that page. You're, you can go sign up there. So, so can you give us just a, a hint of what's going to be happening there um, beyond that? We're going to feed our face with some amazing food. I think we're going to have some music. Some music, and we're going to have some other fun stuff that we're going to do. Maybe some games and right. prizes and things like that. Right? Okay. And how? And is it? And how much does it cost? Five dollars. And, okay, so $5 per person. All those proceeds are going to go to help fund Centrifuge um, for this summer. Additionally, we're, gonna, we're asking our students to come and help. I don't know if you all even talked about this yet. We want our students to come and help and help serve and help do some child care. And that means if you're a parent and you don't have a babysitter, you can bring your kids and we'll have child care for your kids as well. So uh, today is the last day to sign up. And we hope that you'll come because this is not just a time to eat, but it's a time for us to fellowship and get yes, to know each other. Exactly. All right. So we're
1: looking forward to seeing each
0: and every one of you. Yeah. Anything else you want to say, Cindy? No. No? Okay. <laughs> okay. Thank you, guys. Let's give them a, a round of applause and say thank you. All right. I do hope that you'll show up. It is a lot of fun when everybody shows up. And even if you don't have a significant other to bring with you, we're not going to be talking about a bunch of sappy stuff. Uh, You're going to feel absolutely comfortable. It's going to be fun for everybody. It's just the occasion for which we can get together. And I forgot to ask, and and we're making spaghetti, right? Spaghetti. So homemade spaghetti for everybody. So be sure and do that today because once the food's bought, you're out of luck Um, because we're not going to hopefully have a whole lot of leftovers. All right. Thank you, Jack and Cindy. Uh, we appreciate that, and I'm looking forward to spending time with everybody next Saturday. So that will start at 5.30. We'll be done by 7, 7.30. We'll be done if you've got other plans that you need to go to. Okay, um, I want to continue in our series on next. And last week, I shared some of the uncomfortable realities about pursuing your next. And one of those uncomfortable realities is that if you're going to follow Jesus, he is going to lead you into the uncertain and the unknown. It's the reality of following Christ. Christ does not desire to leave you where you are. What we began to talk about our first week is that Jesus will meet you right where you are. No matter what's going on in your life, where you've been, what you're going through, he will meet you right where you are, but he loves you too much to leave you there. And if we begin to embrace that simple concept that he loves us too much to leave us there, then we have to Ask eventually the question, if he's not going to leave me where I'm at, where is he going to take me? And it would be great if we had a road map and we could say, "Well, now here's what's going to happen in the first six months of your life as a Christian. And then six months after that, this is what's going to happen. And then six months after that, this is going to happen, all leading up to a time where we get to be with Jesus in heaven. It would be much easier to do that, and you would know exactly what to expect. But Jesus doesn't work that way because he doesn't want us to know what to expect. Because if we know what to expect, and if he did everything the same way and called everyone into the same place at the same time, then we would not ever have to step out in faith. And if we step out in faith, that is stepping out into the uncertain and the unknown. If you're a person in this room and your heart is beating and your lungs are processing oxygen, God has a calling for your life and he always has a next. Now if you have been somewhere in your life that you have just felt like you were on fire, I mean you had it all together, life was exactly what you hoped and it was perfect. How many of you are there right now? I mean, life is, it could not get any better. Uh, Put them up. Come on. Put them up. Nobody. Right. Nobody. Has anyone ever been there? No, not yet. Okay. Either you're too shy or you haven't been there. I would dare say many of us have some memory of which we said, you know what? Life was good then. It was better than it is now. And I excuse me, dare say that most of us also have a hope or a dream of life is going to get better somewhere in the future than it is right now. And the reality and one of the things that excite me about, a faith, about having faith in Christ and living out your faith in Christ is that he, Jesus is always saying, I have a next in store for you. But when he leads us into the uncertain and into the unknown, it begins to ask of us things that we are not comfortable with. And so I recognize that what I'm saying is you have to enter into the uncomfortable if you are going to follow Christ, and yet you live in a culture that says, do not accept the uncomfortable, stay comfortable. Find the place in life that you can just sit and feel good and be happy and not worry about anything, and most of us, if we're honest, are that's what we're searching for. I'm trying to get to that place where I'm just happy and things are going well, and I just don't have to worry about stuff. I just want to be comfortable. I don't want to be afraid. I don't want to feel like something bad's going to happen. I just want to know everything's going to go pretty much well, and pretty much how is expected. But what I want to share with you today is, if that's the way that you live your life, you are going to find yourself very frustrated, and you're going to find that that does not lead you to a place of a full and an exciting life. Our verse for the series is Hebrews 11:6. It says without faith it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. For all of us we have a great temptation to do certain things. And I don't even I don't know all of your stories. I know a lot of your stories. I don't know all your stories. But here's what I do know about you. You will trend towards those areas of life that you feel confident in, that you feel some sense of security, and that you enjoy. Those are the three areas that most of us will spend our lives pursuing. And the problem is, if you do that, you can absolutely feel comfortable, but you will not be challenged, and you will not experience the best. You will experience what you know Now, it feels good and it feels comfortable because we are at some level in control of our lives when we make sure we stay in the areas that we're secure, competent, and that we enjoy. If we stay in those areas, nothing pushes us too much, we don't have too many disappointments, we don't get discouraged, and we will never feel like a failure. But many people who follow Christ struggle with being comfortable Because that's usually not where Jesus is. And today I want to share a story with you that you've heard before, but perhaps you haven't heard the whole story, and I want to look at what does it look like to walk into the uncertain and the unknown, and what does it look like to take a step of faith. If you've got your Bible, I want you to open it to Matthew chapter 14. You can follow along on YouVersion if you've got your phone. Uh, You can take notes there. You can see a bunch of notes there, and uh, you can follow along with me. But we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 14. This is the story of Peter walking on water. Now, we have to understand a little bit about what's happened up to this moment. Now, up to this moment, Jesus has been through some pretty difficult times. He has learned that uh, John the Baptist has been killed. He has actually been accused of being a reincarnated or a resurrected John the Baptist. Jesus goes on, and, and you'll find the next story immediately following this is, is, is one of the most well known stories in Scripture of Jesus feeding the 5,000 with just a little boy's lunch. And we have this amazing time where he comes and, and this crowd just crowds around him, and the disciples are like, They got to go. We, we can't feed these people. And Jesus performs one of his most notable miracles. And then he takes a boy's lunch and he multiplies it so that not only is every person fed, but there's leftovers. After this time with this group of 5,000, he tells his apostles, get in the boat and go over to the other side. I've got another group of people that I want to talk to, so you guys go ahead. And in the meantime, Jesus kind of dismisses the crowd and then he... Take some time to get away to pray, because what we find in Jesus is that in his often difficult life, he gets away to pray because he needs to have time with the Father in order to deal with the things that are going on in his life. Now, this is the Son of God, and so if you often find yourself needing time in prayer because you're going through a difficult time in life, well, so did Jesus. And so we find in Jesus' life in this moment where he has sent them away, and they begin to go out into the boat. And Jesus, it takes him a little while to catch up. But let's pick up our story in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. It says, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. Command, command me to come to you on the water. Now, a couple of things before we move on that I want you to get the picture. Number one, Peter's faith is growing at this point. And the reason that Peter's faith is growing is because this is not the first time the, the disciples have found themselves in this situation. It's the first time Jesus has literally come walking on the water. That's a pretty significant event. But it's not the first time. They found themselves in a storm, in a boat, on the water, afraid that things were not going to go well. Do you remember the other story? Jesus is asleep in the stern. This is earlier on. They've already experienced this. He's asleep in the stern. The waves are growing. The boat is rocking. I don't know how Jesus is sleeping through this. He must have been really tired, or maybe he was faking it. I don't know, just to see what his disciples were going to do. And then Scripture says that the boat began to fill with water, and they were all afraid. Do you remember what Jesus said to them? They went, and they woke him up. And they said, are you literally, and this is not word for word, are you literally going to sleep while we all die? And Jesus said, oh, you of little faith. And as soon as he got up, he calmed the sea. Now, if you've had one of those experiences with Christ, it's a time when if that happens again, you're going to think, you know what, we've been in this position before, and we need to respond differently. Because you don't want your teacher looking at you and saying, you of little faith. And so at this moment, they're in the boat. It doesn't say that they're about to capsize or that they're taking on water. Just that they're going and the the wind is against them. It's blowing in the opposite direction of where they're going. They don't have a big old motor in the back that's going to push them through. Their motor with their hands on the oars rowing this boat across the water. And yet here comes this person just walking by. Which does, for an outward observer, have a certain comedy to it? You can just imagine these guys in the boat and they're just sitting there side by side Sweat coming off their brow, and they are rowing. And and here's this guy just walking across the water. Now, wouldn't that be fun? Well, let's pick up the rest of our story, because there's much more to this story than you've probably heard. <clears throat> in Matthew fourteen twenty nine, it says, he said, come, after Peter said, let me come to you. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked in the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith. He's heard it again. Not probably what he was expecting to hear in stepping out of the boat. O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Now, I just want to back up here for a minute. Because while Peter's doing this, all the other disciples are watching. Now, interestingly enough, we actually have video of the disciples' response as they watch this happen. You didn't know we had video. We actually have video of the disciples as they watch this. So... I don't know that that was their actual response, but I'm pretty sure I would have been doing that. Oh, man, Peter is trying to show us up again. And then when you watch him go out there, I can imagine just their eyes getting wider. He's walking out, and then he's thinking, oh, Peter. Oh, Peter, come on. All right, so that's not, he's not really a disciple. You can take that off. But you get the point. Now, all of you, if you've been in church for a while, have heard A sermon on this passage at some point. And typically, this is how those sermons go. God wants you to get out of the boat, but when you do, what are you supposed to do? Keep your eyes on Jesus, or you're gonna sink. Isn't that the typical sermon on walking on water? Well, there's certainly some truth to those things, and that He does want us to get out of the boat at times. But that's not really the point of what's going on in this story. Jesus, up until the time that he is betrayed, tried, crucified, and resurrected, up until this time, everything he has done, he has done to prepare the disciples for a time without him. They are in training constantly. Now, Jesus would, from time to time, say things that were not exactly feel-good. For example, oh you of little faith, why do you doubt? (coughs) He also told Peter later, get behind me, Satan, which are pretty severe words from your teacher and friend, (coughs) someone who is trusting you, to carry on the message once they're gone. But Jesus was preparing them, training them, letting them know things are going to happen that you cannot control, and you're going to have a choice in that moment whether you will live by faith or you will live by your ability to be confident and secure and comfortable and feel like you've got everything together. And the truth is, most of our nation, most of our world in some way is trying to get to this place of comfort. And what Jesus is trying to do is to pull you out of that. But we resist because it is in our nature to want to be comfortable. That's the typical sermon. But there's much more to the story. If you, if you are going to follow Jesus, it will take the faith, excuse me, it will take faith, You will have to take risks, and there will be storms. If you're going to follow Jesus, these are inevitable. You cannot follow Jesus without these things, because he takes everyone through them for a purpose. Now, some of you need to hear that this morning, because some of you have been through storms, and you think it's totally your fault, and if God loved you, or had you not screwed up, You wouldn't be in the storm right now. And it's easy for the disciples to also feel the exact same way. Guys, if we had just gone a different way, life would have been different. But yet Jesus sent them here. He sent them into the storm by themselves. This is one of the reasons that so many people can come to church every week and not experience Jesus. Because church somehow fits into a comfort pattern of life. I'm comfortable there. I I like the the music or the teaching or the environment or they're good with my kids or whatever. And I like and I feel good when I go. And so many people are approaching and trying to get that, that feels good thing. And they go from place to place until they feel better about the last place that they were at. But they don't experience Jesus because Jesus is often in the storm not where we're feeling most comfortable. Now I know this is not the kind of thing that draws lots of people because what people want to hear is that you know what God wants for you? God wants you to just be happy. That's what we want to hear. And that message is a a prominent message in many in the Christian faith. The problem is, is that the word happy is so subjective that there's no way to use that word and have a universal understanding of it. What makes you happy is someone else's misery. So for me, if I get to have a day to do absolutely nothing and sit on the couch, I absolutely love it. For you, some of you, to sit on the couch all day is absolute misery. Now, if I do it, do that for more than two days. If I sit on the couch for more than two days in a row, which is why at the end of a vacation I'm usually like, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. Let's get moving. I start pulling out my laptop. I start thinking about things. You know, if I sit for too many, too long, then I, my happiness turns to misery. And so the problem is, is when we say we are just going to pursue happiness and God wants you to be happy, is that every person in the room will interpret that differently based on what they think will make them happy. And if you haven't figured it out by now, many of the things that we think are going to make us happy end up disappointing us down the road. And enough of those things happened that we thought, this is the thing that's going to make me happy. Enough things happen, and all of a sudden we begin to question whether God actually loves us. Why am I not happy? Why is life not good? I don't understand. I've been doing all the things I'm supposed to do. I've stayed in my areas that I'm competent in. I've stayed in the areas that I feel secure in. And I've done the things that I thought would make me happy, and yet I'm not happy. Why am I not happy? What ends up happening in a Christian's life is these will lead to two very disturbing trends within your life. One is discouragement because you will begin to question whether you can truly be happy. You will also truly begin to question whether God loves you because you know someone who is seeing Jesus in the storm and they are full of and they are fulfilled, and they are experiencing joy, and they are in love with Jesus, and they talk about how much Jesus loves them, and you begin to ask yourself, why does Jesus love you, and you have all those things, but I don't have that. Does Jesus not love me too? That's where we go with this, when we make our life about the pursuit of happiness, trying to avoid the storm, trying to buy into the idea that what God wants for me is to be happy. And what we find is that the that God's idea of happiness for his followers is wrapped up in one thing and one thing only, being in the presence of Jesus. See, when we try to fill it with everything else, it's about me rooting on my favorite team, which, listen, you guys are going to root on your favorite teams today. You know, I don't have a dog in this fight today. You know, I don't really care who wins, all right? I know everybody's supposed to hate the Patriots. I really don't care who wins. I mean, sounds like there's some dynamic testimonies of of people, uh, you know, that are going to be playing this game, and I'll probably be rooting for them. But to be honest, I don't care who wins. I don't really care. Amen. Amen Amen to that, right? Except for everyone else who's rooting for a team in here. They don't amen that. See, we get excited about all kinds of things in life. And it's not that God doesn't want us to get excited about all kinds of things in life. God wants us to enjoy every wonder that he has created for us to enjoy in the world. <coughs> his desire is not for you to be miserable in every area of your life except in your spiritual life. God wants you to experience the wonder of his creation. He wants you to experience the wonder of relationships with people. <coughs> he wants you to experience all those things that you can get out of life, but he wants the main thing to be In his presence, that is what we seek for true joy. And so when we are pursuing happiness, we are staying in that boat. And many times, we are missing Jesus. What Peter was learning is this, that it's always better to be out of the boat and in the storm with Jesus than it is to be in the boat without him. And so... I don't know what, where you are. I don't have some magical lens into your life and your motivation. But if you are in a place where you are staying where it is comfortable, where you are staying where you are, are competent, where you are secure, where you're not afraid of failure, where you have no risk, then you're in the boat without Jesus. Because the second thing that happens when we pursue anything other than Jesus is not just discouragement, but it will, for the Christian, lead to depression. That's why so many Christians are depressed today. Now, there are lots of reasons for depression. Some reasons for depression have nothing to do with circumstances or, or what you're going through in life. Some reasons for depression have everything to do with how your body's made up, and it's quite honestly the fact that we live in a broken world, and God's creation has been corrupted, and our bodies don't always function the way they're supposed to. But many, many times for Christians, they reach the, a level of depression because they begin to cease to believe that God wants to be at work in their life because he's beckoning them, and yet they will stay put. They won't take those risks. They won't go to the places where things are hard. They won't try and, and to do things that are going to require sacrifice and then that they may actually fail. There's a reason for that. And I want to get to that. If you're going to follow Jesus, Jesus will eventually send you into your own storm. You can be afraid of that or you can be excited for that. Peter, despite the rest of the apostles' decision at that in that day, was excited to go be where Jesus was. Now we can look at some of his foolhardiness. Peter shows that time and time again. He's a guy that felt big and acted big and often acted in ways that other people had to say, Peter, you know, chill. You're going a little nuts here. But he wanted to be with Jesus. God's calling will always require more from you than you have to offer. I want you to let that sink in. God's calling for you is always going to require more from you than you have to offer. And I will tell you that is a very scary place to be. We don't want to be in that place. We want to be in the place where I know what I have to offer. I know I have more than enough to take care of this. That's one of the reasons sometimes we get stuck in a job because we don't try for things that we really want to do. Instead, we just keep doing the things because we're afraid we might fail at something else. Great things in life do require great risk. For some of you, it has nothing to do with the job, but you're sitting next to a person that you're absolutely in love with, and it took great courage and a risk to ask them out for the first time. Amen? Some of us got rejected the first time we asked too, right? All right? Some of us had our significant others dump us and say, I don't want to have anything to do with you for a while, until they came around and decided you were pretty awesome after us. Wait, sorry. Sorry. I'm going too much into my own story now at this point. (laughs) But it takes risk to find great things. And if we're going to walk with Jesus, it does take risk as well. God's calling will always require more from you than you have to offer. For Peter, it was if he was going to be with Jesus, he was going to have to do something out of the ordinary. But if God calls you, (laughs) he will give you the grace you need to fulfill it. This is one of the great mysteries of the Christian faith. This is one of the great mysteries of fulfillment when life can be difficult. And that is to follow Jesus, we must abandon the secure and comfortable, and we have to follow in faith. I'm asking you to abandon the secure and the comfortable and to do something significant to follow in faith. Now, this is not the only, Matthew is not the only place that we read about this story. We actually read about the same story that excludes this little thing of Peter walking on water. We'll come back to that in just a minute. In Mark chapter 6, and it actually changes the whole story. In Mark chapter 6, verse 45, it says, "...immediately he made his disciples get into the boat." and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. Sounds pretty similar so far, right? And after he had taken leave from them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. This is where the story begins to change. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. Jesus could see They're working really hard, (laughs) which I don't know how that worked out. It would be, again, fun to be a fly on the wall and just see Jesus walking by going, man, those guys are working hard. I'll just meet them over there. (laughs) I don't get in that boat. He saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against him, and about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. So Jesus never intended to stop and help him out. He literally intended to just be like, and then keep going. (laughs) Until he got to their other side. And if you're the disciples and you're just like, what? I imagine Peter saw that Jesus was going to keep moving and he wasn't going to stop. And it was in that moment that Peter said, this is crazy. Jesus, I'm coming with you. Where you're going, I'm coming with you. If you will, just tell me and I will come and walk with you on the water. He knew that in order to be with Jesus in this moment, he was going to have to do something he could not do on his own unless Jesus told him that he would help him, and Jesus did. Now, there's all kinds of absolute truth in the fact that we need to keep our eyes on Jesus in these times of faith, Because if we take our eyes off, we will get scared and we will walk away. There's all kinds of truth in that. And I don't mean to demean that truth that is often told in this story. But I want you to see that what Jesus is doing in some part is testing his disciples and testing their faith. And seeing, have you actually learned anything from me? But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. In other words, they, their minds were totally consumed with, how in the world did he feed 5,000 people? That's all they could think about. They weren't thinking about anything else. They weren't thinking about His majesty, His glory. They weren't thinking about how incredible it was that they were with Him. They weren't thinking about this is the Savior of the world, and <laughs> we are walking with Him. We just don't understand how in the world did He feed those 5,000 people. That's what was on their minds, but not Peter's, but not Peter's. One of the truths of this story that I I find quickens me to my core when I think about it, is I just wonder how many times are we going nowhere because we aren't where Jesus is? How many times are we in the boat working hard, hard we're working, but that's not where Jesus is and we're not making any headway? The truth is Jesus was there all along. But they had to go to him. How many times are we going nowhere because we aren't where Jesus is? Is it possible if you feel in your life right now that you're going nowhere because you're trying to do everything in your own way? In the ways that you feel competent, that you feel comfortable, that you feel secure, that you feel like you won't fail. But that's not where Jesus is. Is it possible, even within the church, that you can come every week, that you can serve, and still feel that Jesus is not there with you? Is that possible? Yes, it is possible. Let me tell you, it's possible to pastor a church and be in that place. Because Jesus doesn't reward our activities, He rewards our faith and our pursuit of Him. That's what Jesus wants for you. That's what Jesus wants for me. It's one of the reasons that you can come and be absolutely empty and yet be participating in everything that the church provides. Are you where Jesus is? I think it's very easy if you are a person who serves in many roles here or in any other church, We've been in ministry now for almost 25 years, and every place we've been, we've seen it. Although I don't know that I've seen it as severe as I've seen it right now in the church. I don't mean I don't mean journey. Certainly, we feel the effects of it, but I mean in churches in general, all all over the place, in which people will regularly come to a service, but yet feel absolutely empty and without Jesus. How is that possible? And one of them is what I believe is the most damaging message in the church today is that God wants you to be happy. I believe that is the most damaging message to the gospel of any other message that is out there. This is the same message that leads to the name it and claim it movement that says, you know what God wants? He wants you to claim wealth and prosperity and fame. And if you claim it, he'll give it to you. And yet there are so many people in the world that love Jesus with their whole heart and they are one meal away from starvation. It's that message that tells us, you know what, it's not about me giving of myself, it's not about me sacrificing, it's not about me giving everything I have just to be with Jesus so that Jesus will make up for all the stuff that I don't have myself, I'm just going to do what I know I can do. And it leads to emptiness. The reason that I think we see it more now than anywhere else is because that's the message people want to hear. And you can build a church with that message. Let me tell you, you can build a church with that message, but you can't build followers of Jesus with that message. And if we're not following Jesus, it really doesn't matter how many times you go to church. Because what Scripture tells us is there's a lot of people who are going to stand in front of Jesus on the day of judgment and He's going to say, I never knew you. I've always been confused by that verse, thinking who in the world is going to waste their time talking about Jesus and yet not really know Him? And it's not that anyone sets out to do that, but we embrace a message that is not Christ. That's why we don't preach many me either. Don't preach many sermons on picking up your cross and following him because nobody wants the picture of being nailed to a cross. I don't want that picture. I don't like that verse. And yet that's where Jesus is. So it is possible to be very religious and yet not know Jesus. And that is why there are so many empty Christians today. And it is not because Jesus doesn't love them. It is not because Jesus is not just as much at work today as he was back then. It's because we're asking him to be someone we want him to be rather than letting him be who he is and becoming the people he's calling us to be. Now, should I go into a guilt trip? No, i not. But guilt trips don't work, do they? Name one person in your life that their guilt trip that they regularly give you leads you to change. It doesn't, does it? It entrenches you like, no way. I'll do whatever, just get you off my back, but I'm doubling down. Because we don't like guilt trips. Guilt trips don't work. My point here is not a guilt trip. My point is there's a way to know Jesus, and there's a way to think you know Jesus, but to miss him entirely. And my hope is that you will not miss him at all. It is kind of fun to look at the story and wonder what was going through Jesus' mind as he walked past the boat. But the fact that he never intended to stop changes this whole story. It is always better to be out of the boat (coughs) and in this storm with Jesus rather than in the boat without him. Matthew 14, 29 again says, as we pick up the story that Mark leaves off, he said, "Come." So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, "Lord, save me." Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took took hold of him, saying to him, "Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt?" Here's part of the problem for what Peter did at this point, and this is what kind of messes up our typical sermon about Peter walking on water is that you and I have to understand we have limits. And God is calling us to work with Him. And everything that we don't have to offer, Jesus wants to empower you and make up the difference. What Peter's asking Jesus at this moment is that Peter could be just like Jesus. And that is not what Jesus has asked us to do. So Jesus can walk on water. We have no recorded evidence that anyone else ever again, ever reached a level of faith that they could walk on water too. Jesus gave Peter in this moment... The ability to be like Jesus and walking on water. And he could not sustain it because that is not what Jesus wants for us. Jesus has to be Jesus. We have to be the people that we are. But together we become somewhat so much more. The reason Peter asked Jesus to do this, in my, in what I believe, is that Peter still, like all of us, wants to be competent and comfortable and not fail, and so he didn't ask Jesus to fill in his holes, he wanted to be like Jesus so he could be confident in himself to walk on water. But that's not what we're called to. Peter misunderstood what Jesus was wanting from him, and it wasn't for us to mimic Jesus and the ways that only Jesus can be Jesus. Just like later, the apostle would be like, hey, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus had to say to Peter one more time, you cannot be me. I have to do this. You have another mission. I will be with you, and I'm sending a helper to go with you. But you cannot be me. Peter, like myself, rarely gets the lesson the first time. Peter asked Jesus to let him do what only Jesus could do. And that temptation will follow all of us because we will want to feel confident in and of ourselves and we don't like to act in ways that we don't feel confident. One of the things that I'll hear when we talk about needs within the church that drives me absolutely batty, I don't know anyone in this room has said this, but I've heard it many times before, and it is whenever there's a need within the church, someone will say something to the effect of, I just don't feel led to serve in that way. Do you know whenever I hear that, I want to pick up a long nail and jab it into my head? Every time I hear that, it's like nails on a chalkboard for me. And then I look at other people that go around and pick up trash, and I think, I know, they didn't feel led to pick up that trash. Or go change your little kid's diaper. That I don't know, what you fed them before you brought them here? But they can smell it three, you know, streets over. I know they didn't feel led to get up that morning and say, Jesus, by your grace, I'm going to go change some diapers today, although that's what they did. And and, and whenever I hear that, I just don't feel led to do that. Usually it's because it's going to require sacrifice, and there's a risk of failure. Now, there is a lot of truth, and I don't want to get off into the, the wrong rabbit hole here, because and we'll talk about this later, there's a lot of truth in that God has engineered you <clears throat> in certain ways to perform certain roles in the church, and if you're a foot, you ought not be trying to be a hand, all right? So there are some things that you should feel absolutely vindicated in saying, that's not, that's not how I'm built. But oftentimes, it's people that aren't seem to be pre- performing any function at all in the church. They just don't feel led. I think, ah, Really? Because there's a lot of things in life that I do that I don't feel led to do. Like clean up the house, like do the dishes, and do the laundry. And now we've got to go, it's time to start pruning back stuff out in the yard. Some of you love that stuff. I don't love it. I love the results of it. I don't love doing it. (laughs) There are lots of things in life that we just have to do. If you go to your employer and say, you know what, I know you've assigned me this task, but I quite honestly just don't feel led to do it. What's gonna happen? Be, that's right. You'll be, they'll feel led to give you your your walking papers, right? Now, it's not that you need to come to church and be miserable because it would not that be a good sermon. You, if you just come here and if you want to be spiritual, you do every miserable task you can think of and praise Jesus, you might be saved. I mean, wouldn't that be a wonderful message? That is not the message of the gospel. However, there are times that we have to recognize to go into the storm is to go into a place that I would never choose to go on my own. But Jesus is calling me there. Jesus is asking you to do what you can do. And he's asking you to let him do the rest. He's not asking you to do everything. He's not asking you even to be successful. He's just asking you to be obedient. And here's the crazy thing. (laughs) That means that you're going to have to take risks. Some of you are natural risk takers. I mean, you take risks and I'm like, You're crazy. But some of us refuse to take risks, and it's time we start. It's time we start. It means you're going to be uncomfortable at times. It means you're going to have to have faith. It means to follow Jesus. You can't have security in anything other than he is our Lord and Savior, and one day I will be with him forever. That is where our security lies. Not in our ability to control things. Not in our ability to be successful. It means that you're going to have to move in areas that you don't feel competent. Whether you you believe me or not, whether you accept this call or not, Jesus is going to lead you into a storm because that's part of him not leaving you where you are. What will you do then? Will you simply be in the storm and be like the disciples in the first story where the boat's taken on water and they're just like, Jesus, are you just going to leave us here? Maybe you're in the second story and you're the apostles and you're just working as hard as you can. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I'm just going to work until until we get there. I mean, it may take us forever, but I'm going to work until I get there. Or it may be that he's beckoning you to say, I want to be with you. Follow me. And I will empower you where you are not able to do this on your own. Paul talks about it like this in Ephesians 3. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. There is power at work within you. Jesus said, I'm sending the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's going to do all kinds of amazing things within your life. I'm just asking you to take hold of that and experience it for yourself, because once you experience it, then you're okay with risk. You're okay with faith. You're okay that you may fail. You're okay that you don't have everything to make this work right, because you have Jesus with you, and you're going into places you never would have gone before. I can't tell you how many places I've been in my life only because of Jesus. I never would have gone to those places. And yet they add up to a full experience with Him. When we finish our story in Matthew 14, I did not want to miss this point. 14.33, those in the boat worshipped Him saying, truly, You are the Son of God. And let me just say, this is the treasure of what I'm talking about. This is the treasure. Because once you experience the power of Christ in your life, you will have joy and you will want to worship. And this understanding of happiness is far different than our culture's. It's a weird thing that he calls us to. Our humanity is so wired differently because of the fall than what we were initially wired for. In that now we think of happiness as I have more stuff than other people. I have more fame than other people. I have a better life than other people. And yet Jesus says, gosh, no, 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 no. That that just leads to misery. That just leads to more attachments. That just leads to more enslavement. That just increases your fear of loss. No, no, no. If you'll just understand that you've got to empty yourself, and then you've got to fill yourself back up with me, then you will be full, and you will experience joy, and you will want to worship. You won't have to have a scheduled worship service. You'll do it right there on the spot because Jesus is with you. And this is what it looks like to walk in your next. This is what we're pulling you towards, encouraging you. And it's not that you, many of you aren't doing this. Maybe all of you are. But I just want you to know that this is what God is wanting for you. This it's what He's wanting for our church. Hebrews eleven six again, "...without faith it is impossible to please Him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him." <clears throat> I want, to, I want to close with this with just an invitation to join Jesus in the storm, to experience his power and to experience his joy. Now, some of you are already halfway there because you 're in the storm, right you 're already in the storm now it 's what is your response to the storm? Most of us will do everything we can to escape it. We will paddle for security immediately but what if jesus is sending us to the other side some of you are already halfway there you just got to find jesus in the storm you got to reach out to him and i will tell you from my own personal experience sometimes that means in very insecure ways (laughs) jesus (laughs) what now i mean i have no idea But when we seek him, we find him. And if you are in that storm, then he is waiting for you to seek him. And he will be there to fill in all of the holes that you have. Now, as a church, we do want you to imagine you're next here in this place with these people. And I I so appreciate the Elias' willingness to serve all of us so that we can get to know each other better. I believe that every one of you has something to offer the community that builds up and encourages the community. I absolutely want you to. Do. That's why every time, if you're going to be a regular attender, we want you to also be a regular server. Not because we just want free free labor from you, because that is part of walking with Christ. And let me just say this real quickly. There's also a difference in approaching service in the way that we're talking about today while you are putting yourself out there in ways that you don't feel competent and you rely on jesus to come behind you there are two there are more than two but there are two primary ways in which you can serve one is i have a responsibility i will fulfill it that's very exciting that makes us in that ministry go wow you're fulfilling your commitment praise jesus And what I know is, is that you're wearing yourself out doing that. You're getting tired because it's not filling you back up. You're giving out, but you're not being refilled. The other way to serve is to say, I am putting everything I have into this. I'm even going places I don't even know that I can do this. I'm working with these kids, and I'm going to teach them this lesson if it kills the both of us. But there's a difference in saying i've got to teach this lesson i'm going to show up and fill up my hour and saying i am going to let these kids know the truth about jesus there's a difference one fills as you empty and one just empties we see people all the time come in and fade away because they come in to fulfill a commitment And they're not putting everything they have into it. They're not experiencing Jesus in their service. And I don't care what it is. Let me tell you something. Do you know I have changed almost every single toilet paper roll in this place since we've moved in here. And do you know I find that very unfulfilling? But by golly, I'm going to change those roles for the glory of Jesus Christ and make sure you got toilet paper. And women, man, I'm serving you a lot because you use a lot more than the men do. And men, that's not a compliment. That is not a compliment. Please use the toilet paper for crying out loud. But you know, changing toilet paper may not lead anybody to Jesus. But I'll tell you what you're in a stall and you realize there's no toilet paper, I guarantee you're not thinking about Jesus in that moment. <laughs> Even in changing toilet paper, there is purpose. If anybody wants to change toilet paper, come see me, I will hook you up. But that's not my point. My point is that there's no area of service that doesn't have some ability to have eternal significance. Will you go... Jesus calls you. Will you go into the storm? If you will, you will experience his power and his joy. Now next week, I just want to tell you where we're going next week. Next week, we need to talk a little bit about daydreaming. We need to talk a little bit about imagination because God is going to give you a dream if you accept his next. That dream is going to be more significant than you, and it's going to get you revved up and excited like nothing else and so we need to spend some time talking about dreaming a new dream. Because where God is going to lead you, perhaps there are things already in place for you to, to work in those areas, but it may also be that it's not there yet and you're going to be one to start it. We need to dream a new dream. I'll tell you, I have never in my faith and in my life been more excited than when I am on fire and on purpose pursuing the dream God has given me. I want to tell you something. He's got a dream for you. We're going to talk about that next week. I want to pray with you. If you're one of our guests today, we occasionally <clears throat> do a little 10-minute thing after. I know I'm coughing up here. It's like the residual of the flu. I'm, I'm, you know, germ-free. I just have a nagging cough. So if you're afraid to come up and get near me, I'm not going to make you sick, I don't think. <laughs> but if you would like to learn more about our church, if you're interested in getting involved, if you're interested in, in membership at our church, I'm going to hang out here um, after everybody kind of disperses. And we're going to have just about a 10 or 15-minute talk in here together. I'd love for you to stick around. Go grab your kids. If you've got kids, bring them back in here. They can run laps if they need to, if they still have energy. Just hang out down here, and I'll, I'll, I'll chat with you for a few minutes and help you see some next steps that you can take. Let me just also say I'm just so appreciative of all of you that are serving regularly, you are sacrificing time with your families, you are sacrificing time in your hobbies, you are sacrificing all kinds of things in order to serve others. I just want to tell you when I see you, I see Jesus in you. I want to thank you for your service. I want to thank you for what you give to our church. We are not a church without you. It takes all of us. For those of you who are getting your feet wet, and you're like, gosh, I don't know. I don't know what I have to offer, and I think some of these people are crazy, but I'm going to give it a go. I just want to say thank you for giving it a go. This is a step. Life is all about steps. or all about nexts. Next week, we're going to share another next from, from someone here, and I, I am excited about you hearing it. For those of you who are just looking, and you are tired, and you're not sure you have anything to offer, let Jesus fill in those holes. You have much more to offer because you are a child of God, and the Holy Spirit is active within you. Would you pray with me, Father? God, I pray that you would help us to to have faith. You've told us that when we struggle with having faith, to ask for it and you will give it to us. I pray for those in this room and they are exercising faith. They are in the storm and and they are just not sure if they're going to be able to make it or not. God, I know they can make it. I know that they can get there. They're working hard on those oars and they are just they just need to look for you. God, I pray for those that are in this room and they are they have been thinking about walking with you for so long. They've seen so many bad examples and they're just not sure that that you're the answer to all of their prayers. But God, we know, we know that you are. No matter how many bad examples are out there, (coughs) you are real, you are alive, you are still calling us. Father, help us to have faith, help us to get out of the boat in the storm and to walk with you, not trying to imitate you or to be just like you in the ways that only you can be you, but God, that we can walk with you and we can be empowered by you. I thank you for your love and your grace. I thank you for all the times we mess up and you welcome us back. I thank you for the mercy that that's new every single day. I pray that you would lead us all into our next, one that is exciting and full of promise, full of things that will change the world and change the kingdom, at least that, that we're around. And I thank you most of all for your Son who died on the cross for us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.